please be seated. That's right. Good morning, church. I'm very glad that you are here. I'm glad uh, that, uh, you know, Scott was talking about hitting the snooze button. Um, he forgot to tell you that this was the first service he showed up for today. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just, I just made that part up. Um, hey, my name's Gary. I get to be one of the pastors here and I'm really excited about what this week represents. Um, it's, it would be easy for us to just kind of run ahead and really um, embrace Easter, but I want to encourage you to take this week one day at a time, beginning today. And specifically, I would encourage you to engage in the scriptures in a way that allow you to journey with Christ through what he went through um, in this week leading up to the cross and, and then the resurrection. I believe that the depth to which we engage in the suffering of Christ will probably equal the height in which we can celebrate his resurrection. And uh, there's, I'm sure there's some Bible reading plans that you can jump into. We are following um, a Bible reading plan for the year, and um, I encourage you to, to keep up with that. We'll start a new month with that. You can jump in on Easter Sunday. Uh, but maybe in addition to that, you can, you can begin your journey through what is now known as Holy Week. Um, we, we refer to today as Palm Sunday, and we are joining millions of Christians around the world looking at a similar passage of Scripture. And I hope that as we do this today, that you have a sense of community that is so much bigger than just this room, that we are a part of a big story, and we're all celebrating um, that part of the story. Um, we're going to look specifically at Luke's account of, uh, this, uh, of this story. It's in uh, chapter 19. Um, all four Gospels record this story of, of Jesus very humbly riding in on a donkey, a colt, a young colt into Jerusalem. And we're going to look at Luke's Gospel account. But before we get to that, um, have you ever noticed that how not knowing how much farther you have to go on a journey just makes it feel like it takes forever to get somewhere? And then like once you get there and you're on your way back, it just, it seems so short. I don't know what psychologically is going on, but when we live with every rotation of the tires, for example, just kind of wondering how much further is it, you know, that's where our kids get the, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, when, uh, when we went on road trips as a kid, um, especially as a young kid, you have no concept of time. You know, um, I remember when we would go to my grandma's house in mid-Missouri, we'd leave St. Louis and we'd begin that roughly three hour journey. But, you know, my dad, when I was a kid, he could say, oh, we have like three hours to go, but I, it, that didn't make any sense to me. Um, or we would be finally on that gravel road leading to her house and he would say, you know, 30 minutes to go. But again, you know, I couldn't understand time in that way. So he described it to me in a way that I could understand and we refer to it as Three Stooges time. Um, and let me explain. Um, we watched the Three Stooges growing up. And if you're a parent and you wouldn't let your child watch something like that, you're probably, probably right on. Uh, you know, you probably shouldn't. But anyway, it's just a real kind of immature slapstick comedy. And my dad was the kind of person that when he got to laughing, he would cry. 
And so he would just get, whatever reason, the Three Stooges really got him cranked up. And so he would be laughing and crying. So I don't know if I grew up liking the Three Stooges or just enjoying watching my dad watch the Three Stooges. But either way, if you're familiar with it, they're, they're just kind of short little snippets, you know, kind of brief episodes. So for example, when we were only like 30 minutes away from my grandma's house, my dad would say, we have two Three Stooges episodes to go. And that made sense to me, okay? Maybe not what you want to hear from a a preacher when you're about to jump into the scriptures. But here's the thing. We are going to pick up this story. And this morning's passage is a story that took place after mile after mile, after centuries of the Israelites looking out the window saying, Father God, are we there yet? Is this long-awaited, promised Messiah here? And the passengers, these people of Israel, God's chosen people, are pining for their long-awaited Savior for centuries. I cannot begin to calculate how many Three Stooges episodes the people waited for the arrival of their king. But just as I was saying, you know how you know when you don't know how long it's going to take when you get there... It's just all the more special. And so here, after centuries, after generations of hearing, we pick up the story. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump back in. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you are here and now with us. We come from a lot of different places on our spiritual journey, um, and we may be looking for a variety of things, but I pray that today we find you king and present among us. Um, Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. Um, Challenge us. I pray that you will give us hope as we enter into this week ahead. And may it truly be a holy set-apart week as we journey with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Scott was alluding to this earlier um, as he was encouraging us uh, to, to think about who that person is or those people are that we can bring to an Easter Sunday service. Um, I am convinced that we are surrounded by people who do not know what they are cheering for. 
What's interesting about this passage that we just read, as enthusiastic as they were for Jesus to be this anointed Messiah, they still didn't grasp fully um, how this king was coming to them, how salvation was coming to them. Um, they were kind of, um, they, they didn't understand that he did not come to save them from suffering. Jesus came to save them through suffering. It was through his suffering, through his death on the cross, that he was bringing a freedom and a salvation to these people um, that they didn't anticipate. They didn't recognize that salvation was coming to them in that way. We We are surrounded by people who do not know what they are cheering for. And by that, I mean, we are surrounded by people who are looking for a savior. They may not be looking for Jesus, Uh, They may not be looking at religion at all, but we are surrounded by people who are looking to be set free. We are surrounded by people who are looking for a reason to celebrate a new way of living, who who are looking for a way to break ties from a past, even if it was kind of good, but there is still a yearning, a longing for something better. And the message to them is that salvation is not found as we avoid suffering, as we go around it, but salvation is found through suffering. It's something that is modeled for Jesus, by Jesus for us. Um, we are called to tell the world of the suffering and saving King. We are to proclaim that what you long for is found in Christ. Now, I want to kind of go back into a small portion of this text that we just read. And I find it helpful that as I read, especially these narrative sections of Scripture, to imagine myself in the story and to ask myself, which of these characters in the story can I most relate to? And so uh, beginning in verse 30 of Luke 19, it says, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, You will find a colt, or some translations will say a donkey, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So I'm going to tell you right now, the who I related to the most... And um, the character in the story that I want us to focus on, to relate to, to emulate, I'm just going to tell you right now, is the donkey. Okay? (laughs) This is what, this, I think there is a really valuable lesson in this for us. Um, And to begin with, I want to say when we are untied, when we are set free, it is for the same reason as that donkey, as that young colt, we are set free from what ties us down so the Lord can use us to meet a need. We are not just freed from something. We are freed to something. Why are we untied? Why would we be offered freedom in Christ? The answer is always the same. The Lord needs you. Yes, you. The Lord needs you to carry Jesus into the city. This is what we are set free to do. And you might be thinking, okay, um, I know, I've heard what Scott was saying earlier and what you're saying. Um, Gary, isn't this something that 
that, well, basically, aren't there paid professionals that can do this? Um, aren't there paid professionals like you that are, are going to be going out there and you carry Jesus into the world? Um, and um, indeed, I do hope that is a part of what we are doing. But I want, to, want you to know that God desires to set you free so that you can carry Jesus out into your world. Um, when I was in seminary, I was a security guard for a couple of years. And a lot of people think that's kind of funny that we would need a security guard at seminary, but uh, whew, those divinity people get a little crazy. Um, yeah, we would catch them reading like the message translation and uh, you know, totally churchy joke. Sorry about that. No, um, actually, I really like the message translation, but the, um, uh, I was a security guard more, there were like, our seminary was located in a really bad part of town. Um, but anyway, there was, uh, most of what we did though, was, um, just kind of patrol in our housing units, apartments that the seminary owned, um, some, you know, the dormitory areas, things like that. And so one of my evening shifts, I was just, uh, patrolling in, uh, this one particular housing area and an ambulance comes flying in. I, um, follow it to where it stops. And as the paramedics are rushing out and grabbing the gurney, I stopped a good ways back and I'm out of the car and I'm like, I've got a radio. If you need some more help, let me know. You know, like, I'm here to rescue, you know, whatever. But <laughs> so, so I said that and then the, the response kind of surprised me. They said, have you ever performed CPR? And I was like, Do they, are they asking me because they don't know? You know, <laughs> Should, Shouldn't they know this part? Isn't that kind of one of the basic things that you learn in paramedic school? Um, I had never been through CPR training. Um, I'd never performed CPR. So my, actually my immediate response was no. To which they said, come on, you're about to learn. And again, I'm thinking, isn't this what they get paid to do? (laughs) Um, and it was, I kind of realized I was a lot more comfortable on the street than I was getting involved. See, I, w- I was curious and I was concerned, but I was clearly underqualified. <laughs> have I ever performed CPR? No, never have. In verse 30 of Luke 19, it says this, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. And I want to make this, this point that this was not a cult that was specially trained to do what Jesus needed it to do that day. This was an inexperienced cult. It was a cult that was untied and freed to be used for the very first time for a particular purpose that it has never served before. Have you ever carried Jesus into the city before? And if this was one of the talk, talking donkeys, it would say no. So you may see where I'm going with this. You and I are free to do new things. You and I are set free for Jesus to meet a need through us that we may have never been used by God to do before. And again, wouldn't it be a little bit nicer if we could just kind of stay back on the street? Hey, God, I got a radio. Let me know. Let me know if that preacher needs any more help. I'll pray for him. But he's saying, 
I am freeing you because I want to use you to carry me into your world, into this city. I don't know about you, but I tend to have really quick excuses when I feel like God's putting me on the spot. When I read something that's kind of convicting, that's calling me out, my first response is not typically, oh yeah, sign me up. It's usually, God, let me give you a list of reasons here why I think you dialed the wrong number, okay? Um, Maybe you're thinking, why of all people is the Lord saying he wants to use me? Because I think this is universal. He wants to use you. He offers freedom through salvation in Christ so that you can be used by him to carry Jesus into this world. And so you might be thinking, I'm pretty tied up in life right now. I'm very busy. I'm entangled in a lifestyle and a mindset that hinders me from carrying Jesus into this city. I don't think I'm the best suited for this. See, there's a danger that we have of seeing salvation as um, this one-time event that is just for us instead of seeing that it is... um, Yes, we are justified in this one-time event, but there is this ongoing work of sanctification and transformation so that we can bring glory to God, but it's for the sake of others. We are being saved by Jesus so that we can offer that salvation to other people. And we fail to see that, again, God wants to set us free, and the reason we are set free is to carry him back out into the world. Um, August of 2003, I just uh, don't remember it off the top of my head, but it was the date in this journal entry. Uh, I was sitting in an airport, and it was just one of those things where some uh, a series of events was unfolding, and I felt like this was not just something I was observing. It was something that I saw myself reflected in the events of what were taking place. So here's, uh, here's a little bit about uh, what I wrote. I'm about to board a plane behind a man in handcuffs. This handcuffed individual is escorted by plainclothes law enforcement. A towel covers his hands and wrists, but it's obvious that he's bound by handcuffs. He was free to fly, but he was not flying freely. It was a journey with no joy. Houston bound, bound the whole way to Houston. When I looked at this guy, I didn't judge him, quite the opposite. When I looked at him, I saw myself. I was a guy who grew up playing by all the rules. I was viewed as a model Christian by my church's standards. Everyone told me I was bound for a wonderful destination in life. Oh, I was bound all right. I was free to live, but I wasn't living free. How many other well-meaning churchgoers are characterized by the same saying? Free to fly but not flying free, heaven bound, yet bound. As a mean-spirited prank, the flight attendant could have said, everyone headed to Houston, raise your hand. All across the waiting area by the gate, individuals would have raised a hand, but this guy would have to raise two hands, two cuffed and bound hands. I'm afraid that picture could be repeated in far too many church settings. If the preacher were to ask, everyone headed to heaven, raise your hand. Across this earth are Christians with a ticket of salvation, yet their hands are cuffed. They are bound by the past, wrapped up in self, prisoners to unhealthy addictions, faithfully attending church, but we feel like we're on parole. Father, my prayer is this. May we discover freedom and flight, joy in this journey. 
Thank you that our baggage can be checked at the cross. We are free to fly. Therefore, may we fly unbounded. May we fly freely. We are not just freed from something. We are freed to something. We are untied. We are loosed. And when this happens, when we are set free, the answer is always the same as to why. And it's because the Lord needs you. So kind of along with this, kind of to use that same metaphor, how do we actually fly freely? How, um, if you feel like you've just been tied up for a long time, what is the key to finally experiencing freedom? Because this is something we can talk about, and it's pretty universal that we desire freedom. But how do we actually experience that? What, what are the steps that we take towards that? And really, it's, it's understanding what God means when he offers us freedom. Freedom is not, that does not mean the freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Freedom is actually rooted in submission and surrender to authority, to God's authority. And that may seem strange, but freedom is not freedom from authority. It's, it's freedom under authority, and it's recognizing God's authority. Now, I'm not saying you, to be free, you're, you're getting to a point where you say, I no longer have anything that holds me back. I am finally perfect. And now the Lord who needs me, now I can be used by him. When I think of this, I think of actually it's like you are choosing daily this path where you wake up and, and surrender to him. You begin anew each day. It's all about you, God. And this is the, the, the experience that we have in this type of freedom is understanding that, that we are set free um, because we have chosen to live the life that God created us to live. Because God is actually the one in charge. We may try to be our own savior. We may try to be the one that dictates what freedom truly is. But we have to realize that it's God who does this. Now let me ask you a question. Um, what's, uh, what's the name of the owner of the donkey in this story? Did you see it? It's actually, it's not found in this story. It's found somewhere else in scripture. Do you know the name of the person who owns the donkey? Jesus, you ever heard of him? Jesus, maybe, yeah? Okay, a little smart aleck comment there on my part. Sorry about that. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who owned the donkey? Jesus did. Paul says to the Colossian church, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We were created by God for God. If I could rewrite the last few words of this verse in Colossians that I just read, to be honest with you, it would sound like this. All things have been created through him and for Gary. 
That would be a great translation of this, but that's not what it says. All things were created by him for him. And when I understand that I was created by him and for him, it leads to the greatest freedoms that I experience in life. You were created by God and for God. In Ephesians, it says you were created by God for good works. You were created to be someone whose good work is to carry Jesus out into the world in your unique way. You were created by God to do this. But this concept of freedom through submission, freedom through um, surrender to authority, it's, it really pushes against us, doesn't it? Especially in the culture that we live in. Um, the, uh, the other day I was taking my daughter, Callie, to school, and we were doing what every preacher does, taking his daughter to school. We were listening to Snoop Dogg. We really were. If you don't know who Snoop Dogg is, good for you. Okay. Yeah. So um, I listen, most of my music that I listen to is on Spotify, and I like it because you can just kind of pick a category of music on Spotify, and then it will, you know, give you some suggestions. And so I went to the category of Christian. And I scrolled down and I was kind of wondering, oh, what, you know, maybe there's some new albums that are out because that's another section on Spotify. It'll tell you new albums in that particular genre category. And there it was, Snoop Dogg, The Bible is Love was the name of the album. So I clicked on it, very curious. And it is kind of a, like a black gospel choir music. And it was awesome, to be honest with you. Um, so I'd been listening to that for a couple of days. I put it on as I'm taking Callie to school. And, uh, and so here we are listening to Snoop Dogg. <laughs> and, uh, and Callie, one of her questions was, is, does this have explicit language in it? And I'm like, no, it, it does not. And so she's listening to it. She's kind of getting into it because it's, it's a combination of, of rap and, and um, just some, some great um, just gospel choir music. But anyway, she, then, then Callie asked me a question. And, and she said, is Snoop Dogg really praising God? And I thought, I love it when they ask good questions. I hate it when they ask questions that I don't really have an answer for, though. <laughs> But is Snoop Dogg really praising God? And I chewed on that for a little bit. And I said, well, it, it seems apparent to me that Snoop Dogg acknowledges that there's a God. You know, he's not saying that God doesn't exist. But maybe the better question is, does Snoop Dogg submit to God's authority? Does he obey God? And this isn't just a question for Snoop Dogg. This is a question for you and I. Do we say we believe in God, or do we also willingly submit to him? Do we obey him? Related to what I've been saying about freedom, just my, my point is this. Freedom is exercised under God's authority. It's a biblical paradox. Freedom is found in surrender. Let me give one more example of this. Um, men. Why is it so common that we will hear men say, I'm married, I'm tied down, but when I was single, I was free. 
Yeah, thank you, ladies, for answering that. (laughs) The guys are like, I'm not answering that one. (laughs) No, we kind of have this picture of, oh, you know, I'm just going to be tied down here and no more freedom. Um, You know, that's, but you know what the Bible says? When we submit to God's authority, when we choose to live and to love the way God designed men to live and to love, it is incredibly freeing. It's almost like a train is most free when it's on the train tracks, right? Men, there is a way that we were created to love our wives, to give ourselves up for her, to sacrifice. The Bible goes into a lot more detail than that, but I'm just saying freedom, actual freedom. It's not doing anything you want, Whenever you want, it is surrendering to God in a way that you are able to carry Jesus into that relationship the way God designed you to do it. The Lord needs you. Whether you are a married man and the Lord is saying, I need you to make sure that Jesus is made known in this relationship, or whether you are at any point on your spiritual journey, He is setting you free so that you can carry Jesus out into our city here. But maybe you still have that nagging thought of, how about if I just stand back and cheer? I'm not sure I want to get that involved. So the gurney is out of the ambulance They have said to me, do you know how to perform CPR? I said, no. They said, come on, you're about to learn. And so now I'm following them as they walk rather briskly into this ground floor apartment where I find laying in the living room a grandmother of one of the seminary students. And then it was just a flurry of activities as the paramedics go to work and The paramedic who had asked me if I knew CPR and told me I was about to learn literally took me by the hand to show me. And we got down, we were kneeled next to this little lady, and he's got his hands on my hand, and he's saying, this is where you're going to press, this is how fast you're going to press, this is about how, how hard you want to press down, and just keep that going, just keep that going. And they're getting other... There's medical equipment, I'm guessing, all hooked up. Um, one of them has the, the bag that provides the air. I don't know the name of it. Like I said, I'm not a professional, okay? But all this has taken place, and I'm pressing. I just continue to do what they've asked me to do. At one point, um, they asked me to pause. They asked me to stop for a second. And so I did, and I looked up at the monitor, and what was an erratic line suddenly went flat. And that's when it really got real. (laughs) They said, start back up. And so I'm doing the chest compressions. I'm praying along with everybody else in the room too. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a learner, but not just like we're going to take a class and learn a few things. A disciple is one who has chosen to follow Jesus and it's saying, I'm not going to stay back on the street. I'm going to, I'm going to get involved. 
Because there's some things that we learn only by getting involved, only by serving. Sometimes we'd rather um, just express care and concern. But then there's those times when he says, come on, I'm about to teach you something. I'm going to invite you to do something that you've never done before. And God puts his hands on our life. And he says, I want you to take salvation life to the people around you. To the people who are flat on their back. To the people who, yeah, they have a pulse, but they're not living. We can draw several analogies from this. Um, He wants to breathe his breath, the Holy Spirit, into them. He needs you to do that. It could be that you are carrying Christ by pressing in and asking deep questions of the heart. That person that you know that's struggling, what are you feeling right now? What are you going through? What is it that's leaving you feeling so empty? How can I help you? How can I carry you? How can I at least kneel down beside you and go through this with you. You are set free from what ties you up and keeps you bound up so that you can set other people free, so that you can carry life, Jesus, to them. Maybe it is inviting someone to our Easter services. But don't think that all you can do is hand out a card and bring them in for a paid professional to do the rest. For one, just let me tell you, I I don't need that kind of pressure, okay? But more than that, I want you to experience the blessing of serving. We're not asking for something from you. We have something for you, an opportunity to be used by God in someone else's life. Can you speak a word of encouragement to someone? Can you do even just a hidden act of kindness? What is the way that you uniquely can carry Jesus out into your world? It could be by offering forgiveness to someone who does not deserve it. But that's your way of carrying Jesus, the Jesus who forgives even when we don't deserve it. What is the unique way that you can carry Jesus back into this city? I'm going to ask the band and uh, to come up. And then we also have uh, men and women. They're going to be distributing the communion elements, and they're going to be making their way to the back as they prepare for that. Anyway, I'm going to go back to a point that I made at the beginning. I am convinced we are surrounded by people who do not know what they are cheering for. We are surrounded by people who want salvation. They want something to hope for. They want to be rescued from whatever it is that is oppressing them. Everyone is looking for signs that salvation is here. And people might fool themselves into celebrating because they got a raise or they got that relationship or they got whatever that thing is. But they need to be reminded that we put our hope in the one person that offers true salvation, Jesus himself.
We need to carry that suffering Savior out into the world and to let them see that we are saved through suffering, his suffering. Philippians 2 reads, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I read that and I picture Jesus on his knees. He came to this earth, got right down there with the lifeless, doing life with them. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He modeled a life of submission and surrender. Jesus walked this earth in complete freedom while at the same time remaining submissive to God the Father. So what do these elements remind us of? This bread and this cup, it's a symbol of Jesus' humility. It's a, it's a symbol of that submissive response that he had to the Father's will and offering his body and shedding his blood so that we could experience true salvation. And he invites us to surrender to the Father as well. And I want to make this abundantly clear. We are not invited to surrender to some power-hungry God who demands our submission. We are invited to surrender to a God who loves us. He is a loving God who invites us into a relationship. Some of you know that you have that relationship. You've placed your faith in him. Others of you, maybe you're to a point in your spiritual journey and you're searching that you realize today is the day. Salvation is here. And maybe for you, you take that cup and that bread and for the very first time you recognize this symbolizes salvation. Jesus doing for you what you could not do for yourself. Let me pray, and we'll partake, and we'll sing. Father, I thank you. Thank you seems like such an understatement. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling a life of submission, of amazing freedom. And thank you that we can taste of that freedom through these communion elements. Prepare our hearts. May this act of communion even be uh, yet another part of our surrender to you, of being untied, unbound, finding freedom in you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.